I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to John Edmonds Cosmos Unimpressed Podcast with Gerard Heron. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Gerard Heron here with John Edmonds Cosma. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. Setting a very tough precedent, you know that. Now you're going to have to be in a completely new location for every single one of our episodes. Now you're going to be, we're going to do 52 episodes this year. You're going to have to do 52 locations. You know that. 52 locations. Here we come. The Unimpressed Podcast. Just for any any new listeners that we had, because I know we we almost doubled the amount of subscriptions week two than we had in week one. So I mean that's awesome. Thank everybody for for coming on and supporting us early on. Uh, so if you're new to the program, uh, episode one, John and I discussed, you know, the, the entertainment industry, the comedy industry, how we met. And then uh, that was that was back when you were just a lowly uh, television producer, John. You weren't a, a digital media mogul yet. You know, I was riding high playing baseball in the Cardinals organization. You were you had a, a, a an office on Sunset. You had a you had a, a, a movie deal linked up with Nick Cassavetes who directed the the notebook everything was was going well and then boom, boom the bottom fell out and uh in 2008 LA you got released from LA I got released from the Cardinals and and uh we both came back uh to Jersey with with nothing but uh the dust in our pockets you know I think it's a really important thing I think it's a really important message right now because so much of the country is struggling uh they're losing everything right now i mean there's over 35 million people unemployed it's one-tenth of the country it's uh one it's i think it's 20 22 percent of the, the working age people people are losing everything and they're they're panicking i had a business go under you went from being a, a studio executive to coming back to jersey and and bartending is that right well, I wouldn't call myself a studio executive. I mean, I had some pretty big opportunities. We developed a, a film after I left Red Bull with Nick Castavetes and called Kentucky Rhapsody. I can remember riding down Sunset Boulevard when I got involved with Nick Castavetes. And I remember I was flying high. I felt great. I remember seeing the movie posters, the mo- you know, the TV shows, all of the big advertisements on Sunset. You know, we had the office uh, corner of Vine in Hollywood. I had Mick Jagger's old office. I said, hey, I made it, you know, and every day I went to work, I, I walked down the Walk of Fame and I didn't make it, you know, and I think it was the vapor. And, and when I say the vapor is the BS of not making money. You know, and I think a lot of people live off reputations. A lot of people become socialites. Socialite, I love know. that. Socialite was the original influencer. You know, back back before back before uh, you could become a, a digital influencer, you had to be a socialite. You know, you got paid to be professionally interesting, right? Like that. That's that's true. Socialite. Well, I don't even know if you. I don't even know if you got paid. Like I said, California's got the great beaches. They got beautiful weather. Every day you get up, it's 72 degrees. It's the same temperature pretty much year-round. It's four days of rainfall year-round. And you got every 10 in California trying to be the next big star 
Nobody and, works. Nobody works either. I mean, if you if you come from a, a northeast area, if you come from the northeast, if you come from the Midwest, man, I mean, you work, you work, you get in early, you stay late. And when you have that distraction of reality, it can lead you down some path that may not make you any money. There's a lot of distractions out there and you become a socialite, but you don't get a paycheck and you go to the biggest parties, you know, and you, you meet the biggest people, but it's all a front. You know, I think the biggest thing in this business is, you know, making money is a big deal because 90% of the industry. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gets distracted. That's one thing I didn't I didn't realize until I left. It's almost like you get all the things you anticipate, mm-hmm. which leads you down the wrong path. Like yeah, all the yeah, things yeah. you're looking for, all the things you're looking for when you get out there, mm-hmm. it leads you down a path that you think is success, and it's really not. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to decipher when you get caught up in the celebrity world because you're enamored by certain personalities that you may meet or hang out with when you're out there. And what I realized, they use their name and position in Hollywood for power to make money for themselves. Most celebrities will not help you do anything. People are are so different in different environments out there. Like somebody is completely different on a one-on-one lunch with you than they are in a business meeting or they are at a party with 10 other people. It's, it's incredibly hard to know what I, what I experienced anyway was it's very, very hard to know like who you're dealing with. Everybody is who they think they need to be in that moment. And that, that becomes a very frustrating thing to try to do business with people because you just, you can't get a read on them. You know, I basically came back uh, from LA. It was July 4th of 2008. Uh, I didn't have a dollar in my pocket. You know, I left Red Bull. I spent a year and a half, you know, developing this project with Nick Cassavetes, and we never made the movie. I couldn't even pay my rent when I left L.A. that year in 2008. We established a residence in in New Jersey, and I had to start rebuilding. I had to do a lot of things that I never thought I would have to do again, but I had to do it, and I rebuilt myself, and here we are today. And I think you got to be positive out there. You got to stay positive. You got to have a strong mindset. And never let them see you sweat, no matter what the circumstance is, whether you got a dollar in your pocket or a hundred dollars in your pocket, never let them see you sweat. That's been my motto. And, you know, then you got the, you know, you got the haters, you got the haters as well. I mean, they're, you know, a negative energy that's going to try to bring you down because once you 
you hit the skids, they don't expect you to get up off the ground. You know, it takes a very strong personality to get up off the ground and rebuild yourself day one after you've had experiences in life that no, you know, not a lot of people have had in life. And they resent you for it. It's just a story at that time. And once it becomes a story, you know, you start telling your kids and you go a different route in your career and you're doing something else that you hate doing for the rest of your life. And that goes to the fact that what we talked about earlier of, you know, what what do you want in life and what decisions are you going to make in life? Because those decisions will affect your future drastically. Well, you know, there's also a human element to it. And I get what you're saying. And it's, you know, that's pragmatic. You know, keep your keep your head down. Don't listen to the haters. Do what you have to do. Yeah, totally. But, you know. When when I lost my business, man, I couldn't get out of bed for two months, dude. Like, I was beyond depressed. I was bitter. I was angry. Um, you know, I mean, you're talking about a situation where you're trying to make a movie with a guy who directed The Notebook. You're driving down Sunset, and, you know, you look up a couple months later, and you're, you're bartending. You know, they, you, you, you got to be bitter. You got to be angry at some point, right? Like, I mean, it's not like you just hit, hit the ground and was like, Oh, well, I'm going to build back up there. There had to be some moments there where you were like, this is, this is messed up. The, I guess my internal drive, I've always had some type of internal drive. That's always driven me, you know, even though the not knowing is very, very scary and you have the depression, I was probably depressed for five to seven years. And you know, that I was very, very scary time in my life because you're trying to support your family you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to figure out ways to make money. You're trying to get up off the ground. You know, you got all these things coming at you. And it's it's a lot to take in. Having faith and strong will is the two biggest things to get you over that hump. And I think if you can fight through all the negative, once you get fight through all the negative and you see a little light or pattern at the end of the, the tunnel, you know, you start magnifying that light or pattern at the end of the tunnel, you know, step and repeat, step and repeat. And once that light and pattern, you know, builds out, it can get you out of that situation, you know, no matter what. But yes, there will be a time of darkness and depression and just feeling down. And what am I going to do? But have faith, be consistent Stay on the road. Don't get knocked off the road. Try to find that light, a little, just a little piece of that light that you can build out into a big light. And that can get you, you know, moving forward in the future with something successful again, if you have that passion to and goodwill to do it. Well, perseverance is, yeah, 100%. But why, like, why did you stay in the entertainment industry? What lessons did you learn from that movie not getting made that you came back and, you know, here you are. You know, uh, you stayed in the entertainment industry. It's something I didn't do. You know, I, I left baseball. I was done with it. When when baseball was done with me, I was done with it. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. I was done. Uh, but you came back. You kept you t- kept taking bites at that apple. You you tried to do a couple. You didn't try to. You actually did a couple of live events, right? You went from producing. Uh, you know, shows and, and movies. So then you, you switched over to, to live events. When I came back to New York, I did a professional boxing match at Ohika Castle, which is 105,000 square feet private residence called Hassel at the Castle. We had the 1984 Olympic team there with 
Evander Holyfield, Pernell Whitaker, and those guys. It was uh, Lou Duva's birthday. We celebrated his birthday there. Uh, it was a, an amazing time. We had Jerry Cooney there. We had uh, Brandon Jacobs sat and sat by my wife and, and Mariana at the show. We had the head of we had Dan Bonagino. Dan Bongino, I think that says it. Dan, that's my boy. Dan was from, from Fox News? Fox News, that's my boy. He came to my fight, and he called it the event of the century. Yeah, he was head of uh, he was head of Secret Service for Obama at the time. And um, he was there hanging out with the owner of Ohika Castle, Gary Milius. And then Dan, you know, I guess he got out of the Secret Service business shortly after that and started his own branding as a uh, – broadcaster but yeah dan's my boy that was in 2010 wow and uh he's had some success since then why boxing i mean that's that that's that's a you so again i mean it's the entertainment industry you're, you're going back at the entertainment industry but you now you're doing live events as opposed to, to pre-recorded productions and you've gone from extreme sports and motocross to you're making a movie to now doing boxing promotion how, how? i tried to sell cars uh, for a couple months and I uh, met this kid at uh, at this dealership and he introduced me to a boxer vicious Vivian Harris which I would I ended up being uh, Vivian's uh, advisor and that's how I got into the, the boxing world and he introduced me to the Duvas me and my dad went over to Lou Duva's house or Donna Duva his daughters and and my dad was a grew up in New Jersey was a huge fan of Lou. He used to have the big fights at the Ice Palace when Tom Cruise used to come there and show up and so forth. And we're sitting there talking to Donna Duva and my dad looks up and this short guy comes out of the bathroom and it's Lou Duva. And my dad about fell out right there because Lou had been his idol for years. And it was just, it was strange, man. I mean, I always met people that put me in certain situations and I don't know if it was my energy or whatever it was, but I always found myself in situations with these influential people. And I was like, why, why is this happening to me? It's in it's, I mean, I sought out for it, but I didn't, you know, seek out for it that aggressively and i think ended up staying in trying all these different things you know meeting vivian him introduced me to the duvas i went to a lunching frank mckay used to have these lunchings at ohika castle so i walk into ohika castle this redneck guy they never heard a southerner in long island before i walk in there the first time i bring vivian there we sit down there's federal judge here federal judge there pretty much a round table of people who run New York. And I'm sitting there freshly broke from LA with Vivian. And I said, Hey, let's do a boxing match here. And they thought I was crazy, but I did it. I lost money. Oh, you lost lost money off of it? I did lose money. I mean, we, we broke about even, but I mean, I didn't make any money. You went too big. You went too big. I went too big. I had, I had girls in bikinis. (laughs) I had a I had a live DJ. We had a you know it was a sanctioned fight by the state of New York. So we had you know six professional matches, and at the time I was still working at that car car dealership before I started Barton, and nobody knew that either. But I'm throwing, I'm I'm pulling off this live event at 105,000 square feet residence. Nobody knew I was broke. You're selling Toyotas at nine o'clock in the morning, hanging out with that Vander Holyfield at ten o'clock at night. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody knew. That's the that's the hustle mentality, though, John. That's the hustle mentality, man. You know, you just keep grinding it out. But why the entertainment industry? I mean, the entertainment industry. It's it's like like I said, you had your bite at the apple, and then you came back, and there was just something pulling you towards it. Because now, basically, what you've done with Bang is you've put those two different experiences together. Now there, there's a production aspect and a live. Uh, entertainment aspect so you you went and you've taken everything that that you learned and you know whether you call them failures or not i mean your past failures all came together into this massive success in, in a digital marketplace that had never seen anything like this before well you know i think it was one of those when uh preparation meets opportunity you know all these things i had experienced and done in my career i never thought i would go down this path and what i realized is when i uh, you know i shook off all the bad energy and try to become a better person. I says, why am I being put in this situation? And I said, it's, it's, it's having a voice in the community. I think being famous is having a voice in the community and whatever you do with that voice is very, very important. You know, it affects percentages of people's lives uh, on a daily basis. If you're an influence on people's lives and can bring some goodness and laughter, whatever it may be, to make the world better, that's the biggest thing about being famous. Forget the money and everything else that comes along with it. But having a voice in the community, I believe 100% is the biggest deal of all. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like a chance to get caught up in the vapors, to be honest with you, and then circle back and, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then be cool with the community. But, you know, give me the vapors first for a little bit, you know. Um, yeah, yeah I, you know, it, it's... And, it, and it, it's a competitive, you should know this too, it's a competitive thing. When you are down, you have these people talking negative. I think you've got to bring that in, right, and use that as a driving force. Hey, you say I can't do something? Well, watch this. Yeah. You know, and I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, and that you know that that's painful. That that sort of reflection and that acknowledgement that you failed and that these other people have it on you, that's painful, man. But that pain hardens you up and it does make you better. But that's that is a painful process to go through. Uh, but but I couldn't agree with you more. Question for you: What did you have that drove you when playing baseball? Are you just a great talent? You know, I made a decision to go to a, a small school, right? So I was going to go to Seton Hall. Uh, you know, I had a scholarship offer to play there, D1, good baseball program, and then their, their coach got into a ton of trouble. So I ended up decommitting and then going to a good um, academic school. And everybody always told me, like, you know, it doesn't matter where you go to college. It doesn't, Spartanburg Methodist, doesn't matter if it's JUCO, doesn't matter if it's D3, baseball is not like football, right? So I, I had had all these, these offers to play at these more prestigious locations, but, you know, I was going to play from day one if I went to TCNJ. It was the best school and like, it cost the least amount of money. So that's where we ended up going. And, then it just ended up being nonstop. No matter how many records I broke, national records, it was, yeah, but you're a D3 guy, you're a D3 guy. So I ended up having this massive chip on my shoulder, John, that was like, you know, no matter what I did, the better I was, they'd take it away from you because, oh, of course you're putting up big numbers like that. You're playing way below this guy in this competition level. Uh, and then I'd go into summer leagues and, and, you know, people that don't know, in the summer, there's no Division One, Division Two, Division Three. It's all the best players in the country playing in, in these three leagues. And I'd go to the NECBL and I'd make the All Star team. And I'd be on the All Star team with guys from USC and you know Ohio State and Miami and LSU. You know, I'd be right there with all of them playing. You know, going to the Team USA camps, 
you know, and I'm there. And, and still, I just felt like I couldn't get any respect. Well, what um, drove you? What would drive you? What that's, would what, that's what I'm saying. That, that perceived lack of respect. But I will tell you, being good out of spite, it burnt me out also. You know, so like trying to prove my haters wrong and just being, I became so in tuned to the negative energy and the negative feedback because that's what motivated me. You know, you hear Michael Jordan talking about it in the last dance where he didn't care if anybody had anything good to say about him. He wanted to hear that one guy who had something bad. He wanted to prove that guy wrong. I was very much the same way. Without knowing Michael Jordan was like that, I was exactly the same way. I didn't care if you had anything good to say. And it ended up burning me out. I was a bad teammate. I was a bad human being. My entire life was just negative, 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 negative. And my success was like success out of spite. You know, like I don't I don't look back. There's a lot of like I, I love my teammates and I and I loved getting a chance to see America. But there, there's a lot about my athletic career that I really don't look back on fondly. Uh, and, and it's something that I've really tried to change in my my second entertainment career. You know, in comedy, you know, I, I don't care what the haters say. It's literally the exact opposite. I don't have anything to prove to them. Uh, I, I want to be of service. You know, like this kind of, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about the community, to be honest, as corny as it sounds like, well, I genuinely care that people come to the shows, enjoy themselves, have a good time so that the money that they spent, they feel like is well spent. I genuinely care that the people that listen to our podcasts enjoy it, you know, and, and I'm, I'm much more, I have much more of a service mentality and like, how could I be of service? How could I be a voice to people that don't have the voice? And I'm much happier, man. I'm a much happier person about it. So I don't know, man. I mean, the, I, spite made me very successful. You know, I, I played five years of minor league ball. I was successful, but I would, but it was, it was tearing me apart. And I don't, I haven't been, I, dude, I haven't been to a baseball game since, since I, I quit. I have not been. I played in a couple of like pickup games, but I haven't been to a professional baseball game in 10 years, you know, and, and this is all I did for the first 25 years of my life. It was, I lived it. I breathed it. It was it. That I mean, I was very similar, too, when I didn't make it in baseball as well. I mean, I had a buddy that was pretty extreme where, you know, he didn't ever want to see a baseball again because that was his whole life. And, and I, I think that that's something when I, you know, I try to tell kids and I try to, like, when I when I reach out is, like, like everybody's always talking about sacrifice. If you're not working if you're not working hard, somebody else is working hard. And it's like, you know what, man? You have to have balance, John. You know, you have to have balance. I lost my, my, my lust for the game. Uh, I can tell you, there was almost, I almost quit comedy three years ago. I almost quit because I had a very similar moment. I had the biggest bomb of my life in Philadelphia. I played helium in Philadelphia. And I don't know what happened. I had a B-Rabbit moment. I went on stage and I completely forgot my whole set. Like I blacked out. I forgot my set. And I'm standing up there just like uh, um, trying to come up with things off the top of my head doing crowd work. And I was with uh, Jessica at the time. And we're driving back from Philadelphia in complete and total silence. And I get back and I'm just like, I, I'm quitting comedy. This is this is baseball. I'm not having fun. There's absolutely nothing fun about this. I was doing like 20 shows a week. I was doing four shows a night in New York. Wasn't making any money. Comedy was costing me money. You know, and, and I was just, again, I was feeling that same burnout and I wasn't having fun with it. I wasn't doing the material I wanted to do. I was doing material that I thought managers and like, um, you know, late night scouts would like. Does that make sense? Like I wasn't, I wasn't speaking from my, my, I wasn't speaking my truth and I wasn't, I was trying 
to make people like me. You know, I was, I just, I was trying to write jokes that I thought people would like instead of trying to be myself and genuinely entertaining. And it was, it was getting into that same mold. Uh, I'll quit before I, before I do this again, you know? Well, I'll, I'll say this, you know, life is hard regardless. And my lawyer told me, he says, you're the only person I know that can walk into a meeting and drop a grenade at any time. And I've always had that mentality my whole life. You can ask my wife, I would risk it all no matter what. Like if I believed in something, I would do it. And I think the other thing is, I think is I go back to my motto of focused energy, right? I was always able when I was in LA too, I was always able to put together 10 pretty decent things and decent projects. And what I realized was that those 10 things were a distraction. I knew I had a strong personality. I knew I could deal with with strong personalities. I have my whole life. I was doing it and people would listen to what I say. I said, if I can take that energy and focus it into two or three things, then I can be more successful. So I think that's going reiterating what I said earlier is when you find that light at the end of the tunnel and you find a pattern, this the tunnel is going to be dark for a long, long time. But just keep being consistent. Stay with your passion. Find that light at the end of the tunnel and build out that light. It's like step and repeat, step and repeat. And you continue to do that, right? You'll find a pattern of business to get you out of the hole. You just got to find that little bit of light and get there because the darkness may last for a long time. And like I said, I was depressed for five or six years. Just find an inch of light and make that light bigger is the only advice I can give people out there who are losing their homes and whatever it may be, just fight for what your passion is, no matter the situation, because life is the most important thing you have. That's the positive. When you're in that dark tunnel, that's the one positive thing you have. You're alive. That's one positive thing. Everything else may be terrible, but use that life and that passion and that drive to find a little bit of light to build out and create a pattern of business to get you out of that hole. And you can do it. You just got to be focused. Maybe if you've had five things in your business, cut it down to two that are really, you know, can make you decent money and focus on those two things instead of five things. Make some adjustments. Adjust with the times. Figure out what needs to be done. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different moves you have to make to pull yourself out. You know, for me, coming to New York and meeting so many people and so many different personalities was a big learning curve as well. And I think if you can learn people and learn how people respond to things, that's a big deal too. So just, you know, try to stay positive, stay focused, cut down on two or three things, focus on one or two, and pull yourself out of this hole. Well, beyond knowing other people, one of the things that I've come to know about you from knowing you for for five years now is that you know yourself really well. You know, and, and uh, you know, you told me once that, uh, you know, there's just no way you can go back to working for anybody else. Right. Like you just you, you need to you need to be in control of your own destiny. So I, I think part of that is also, you know, be ruthless in your self-evaluation, like know exactly what it is that is going to motivate you to get you through these dark times, because 
you know, the perseverance, perseverance becomes really hard. From my experience, anyway, perseverance is really hard, like emotionally, more than physically. It's not physically hard to get into a routine, get yourself up, get in the car, sit, sit through the commute. Go to the, go to the office, sit through your eight hours and, and rebuild yourself. You know, that's just, you know, being dedicated and, and, you know, over time, you, that'll, that'll figure itself out. But it's emotionally, can you be invested in, in that for a long time? You know, I don't know emotionally if I could ever get back to a place where I'd invest all my own money into a business again. You know, I, I don't know if I could do it, you know, and, and I mean, that's one of the things with you. You know, with that perseverance, not only did you keep going back to the entertainment industry, but you you invested in your own company again, you know, and that's, I mean, that takes a lot of moxie to make that plunge, man. I mean, what, what did, what did your wife say? What did, what did Mimi say when you were like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a business owner again. I, w- I was always a business owner because I never let Bang Productions go. I actually incorporated Bang in 2001 and uh, started in music videos um, and then built out from there. So I never let the actual business go. It was just what I was doing with the business. I think my wife at some point after a couple years of not making any money and when I, we were broke coming back from L.A., I think she kind of she might have gave up on me a little bit. She's like, who am I marrying? Who is this? But I think if you can, you know, if you can home in the the positive things of your life, because I I had a lot of negative things around my life as well. A lot of distractions, did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. And, you know, you've got to you got to you have to become a better person as well. You got to treat people better. Um, You have to become more focused, you know, because I think I think, too, this is what I tell people, too. When I took care of myself and did something for myself and made myself better first, everything else works out. You know, you have to make yourself better first and start there. And I think that was a big change in my life where I told myself, I don't know, seven, I mean, maybe 10, 10 years ago, because I, w- I would run into like some crazy characters that wanted to do this and that. And I could have went on either side of the fence. I could have went down the, the illegal road, the middle road, the whatever. I could have went down a lot of different roads. Desperation, right? Anything easy is not valuable and it's trouble, you know, so don't take the easy way out. You know, you got to persevere through that, reflect on yourself, make yourself better first and build from there on a positive note. And I told myself that no matter what I do from this point on, I have to carry myself above board. Whatever I say I have to do. And I call it, you know, I tell people, if I tell you something, you can write it on the wall. I will not tell you something that I will not do or get accomplished for you because I've been on that. I've been that person on the other side of the, uh, the desk where people told me they're going to do this, do that and do that. And it never got done. And I said, for me to be successful, whatever I say, I will do, you know, because 10 years before that, before I made that commitment to myself and made myself better and made my life better, then, you know, I, I made some sloppy decisions. I probably did some not so above board things, but you don't really get anywhere when you do that. Yeah. You know, you got to be above board. You got to carry yourself with respect and you have to be wet and you have to be direct. You cannot lie to people. 
Right. I, and the other thing I told myself, too, I says, you know, no matter how much this person may not like it, I have to hit them between the eyes, whether it's good or bad. They may hate me for it and they may not understand it, but that's kind of been my motto. A lot of people don't understand it, you know, initially with me. But I tell you that I tell you what, a lot of times, six months, a year down the road, because I was so direct and hit them between the eyes. Well, you test people. You te- you, you do test people. <laughs> what? You, you do. I mean, you know, you, you do. You know, you, you, like I like to say, John's only got one tool in the box. It's a hammer. You know, and uh, yeah, it, it's true. But but you, I will say, you're you're not initially nice. You 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 make people earn your trust and respect, and then once they've earned your trust and respect, yeah, you're 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 a great guy. But that initial, that initial, you, you definitely, you definitely test them in the beginning. Well, hey, I, I've been tested all my life. And, you know, if you don't test people, they're going to be in your circle, then you're just wasting your time. I agree. I you agree. Know, because you can, you can let people in, you know, and if people put up with your ass, if you're, if you're rough as hell, because I'm out the gate, I'm pretty rough. If people can stick with me through the thick and thin initially, I'm the guy you want to have your back. You know, I'll stand up for you on anything. Look, dude, I, you know what's weird about the, the whole being a good person thing? I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's hard. Like, that's something when you're when you're young and you're growing up, you think like the good people are like goody two shoes and they're always listening and they're easily pliable and docile. And it's like, no, it's hard. It is hard to be a good person. And it, and it really does make a huge difference when you're doing something that has such a high return rate of no, like what we do. Like, I, I like to tell people I'm not a comedian. I, I'm a professional get told knower. You know, you, you, you get told no so many times by bookers. You get told no so many times by casting agents. And then you get that one yes. And it's like, oh, this guy's killing it. I, I get told no 2,000 times to get that one yes. My job is to get told no professionally, you know. the And the reward is getting to do the show. You know, but if you're slimy and if you're malleable, goes back to that self-evaluation thing I was talking about. But what, what you're talking about, you know, being a good person, it, 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 it's, it's so much more than that. It's such a good point because, you know, you at the end of the day, all you can do is look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, I tried to do the right thing. And that's it. That's all I can do. You know, so it, it, you do get tested, especially in an industry like this. You get tested constantly. You know, everybody's always backbiting. There's so much back channel stuff. There's so many bad people, frankly. You know, but if you can be honest with yourself and be a good person, I really do think that that does give you a leg up. And that does, it gives you the energy that you need to persevere like you're talking about. I don't think if you're, if you're a constantly slimy person, I don't think you can persevere in the long term. Unless you're in politics. Well, I didn't. I didn't like that worry. You know, one thing for me, I didn't like that worry when I, before I made that commitment to myself to be a better person and try to help people. You know, and be direct and hit them over the head, whether they like it or not. You know, I didn't like that worry. I didn't like telling somebody something that I couldn't do, mm. right? Or I didn't like making a decision that would put me in an awkward situation that I would worry about for three or four weeks. You know, I just, I was over the worrying. I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm going to do the right thing regardless. I got to do it because I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to leave, you know, I'm going to leave everything on the table immediately and get it out of my system because I'm not going to go home and close my eyes at night and worry about nonsense. Yeah. I don't have to worry about. You just got to, you know, and a lot of people, 
because everything is such a facade in life and people, you know, you know, they, they're so, they're so misled. 75% of society is so misled. It's, it's, it's nuts. The things that you perceive that may be a good person, it's, it's like the, the preacher scenario. And I don't want to pick and choose on someone who's a preacher or whatever, but you know, there's some preachers I met in my life that, uh, you know, they look at you kind of weird and they comb their hair while they shake your hand as you go out the door. I'm like, you know, that's an interesting personality to me, but that's kind of the, the example I'm going to use because that it's a little bit of a facade. He's selling faith and this guy, his energy don't seem like he's got a lot of faith going on. So. There's a lot of different people like that in the world. And, you know, and it's like the person that's overly nice. That person, when I say a person that's overly nice and goody two shoes and this and that, those, that's the person I worry about. You know, this ain't real life. I think you got to live your life like real life and accept reality. That, that's something that has happened during my lifetime. And you're a little bit older than me, so I'm sure you've seen it too. But like, when I was a kid, a disagreement wasn't a big deal. Like you could disagree with somebody. So you didn't mind telling people what your perspective or your, or, or, you know, Hey, this, this is the way I feel about this because that disagreement, the consequences weren't dire. The consequences weren't, I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm going to try to get you fired for your opinion. I'm hoping that you never get a chance to work because of something you said 15 years ago. You have to be nice to everybody at all times. You have to be willing to accept anything. Anything they tell you, you have to be willing to accept it because God forbid you don't, they'll ruin you, man. You know, you, 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 we, we don't accept people kind of for who they are anymore. Um, we accept them for how obedient they are, really. And that's why I think you're, you're seeing that these people are just like ultra nice and you never know where they stand. I mean, John, what, what happens otherwise, man? I mean, you, you, you say one thing that's not nice and it's on camera or it's on the Internet. And, dude, 30 years later, it could cost you your life. You know what I mean? It could cost you your livelihood. So that, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of that, you know, that, that we would call it fake when we were growing up. Why people are so fake and, like, people would be – people that were fake – you would never hang out with and be like, get out of here, you phony, you little you snitch. You know, like, I mean, we would never hang out with a snitch ever. We had a, you know, snitches get snitches. That was the whole thing. Like, if you were a rat, you couldn't hang with us. You were a rat. Now, ratting makes a lot of money. That's all Yelp is. Yelp is just industrialized ratting. Google reviews are just, you're ratting on somebody. So, you know, That's everybody true. has to be on their best behavior. You're not allowed to have a bad day. You're not allowed to make a mistake. That's that's why you're seeing that. That's the that's the swipe left mentality, and I think mm. that's due to, you know, that's something I was talking about earlier. The swipe left mentality. I think the younger generation and the technology and and you know phones, you know phones lead the pact in the technology world, and that's the swipe left mentality. I think it's the phones are dehumanizing people. And and what I say that dehumanizes it's it's dehumanizing and desensitizing people's responses to things. And I think that when these people are grown up on technology and phones and whatever it is, when you see something you don't like, you just swipe left, right? So there's really no 
heavy emotion there. It's just a visual thing, whether you like it or not. And when you, the more time you put into that, you know, that technology or that phone and it desensitizes you, you begin to forget how to respond and react in the human world and forget how to deal with humans on a normal basis. Realize people make mistakes. You know, people do things they shouldn't. You know, everybody's going to make mistakes in life and nobody gives any credit for those mistakes. Give some value there. Find out who that person is, you know, before you go out there and say, before you give a definition on who somebody is, find out who they are first. Because the swipe left world will try to determine who you are, what you're about with one sentence that they read. And it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Because I think what happens when you get desensitized on technology and you don't interact with people, then when you finally do interact with people and you deal with something that may be very emotional, those people that are the swipe left people don't know how to deal with it. They overreact. They blow it out of proportion because they haven't had human you know, interaction most of their life. And that is fault to our whole society, and, and it's an environmental thing. And I think if people were smarter, they could really wake up and realize that because you're more powerful together than you are apart. The more you're apart, the less power you have. Same thing in Hollywood. If you're going to discredit people continuously and ruin their careers, think about if you knew how to deal with humans the right way and had some human interaction more in your life, and didn't overreact, you're not going to ruin somebody's life. It's not going to happen. It's an understanding. I think there's got to be more understanding and knowledge behind that. And I don't know how there can be a crusade or whatever it is to bring people together, because if more people work together in Hollywood, how much more powerful would they be and how much more money would they make? Well, there's a vindictive aspect to it also, right? So, you know, I think back to Shane Gillis, who, you know, a one writer, one writer, a blogger, and an open micer got him fired for something that he he said that may may have been insensitive towards the Asian Asian population. It was a white guy, the writer who got him fired was was offended on behalf of another community. Uh, and, and basically, what he said was that that Shane Gillis reminded him of all the bullies. He didn't feel bad for getting him fired because Shane Gillis reminded him of all the bullies that bullied him, and he was happy to stand up. This guy was so mad at somebody else that he was lashing out and got somebody else fired for it, and he thinks he's a hero for that. And and that's that's where I agree with you. There's a desensitize, you know. We're desensitized in that regard because somebody gets fired on Monday, Twitter goes after somebody, they get fired on Monday. Nobody remembers that person by Tuesday, but their life is, is shot. They don't, they, they can't get another job. You Google, anybody Googles them and this is the first thing that comes up. You know, it, it, it's so they're undersensitized and they're oversensitive. And that, that I agree with. Um, how, how old is Shane Gillis? Shane is, I think he's 33. Who probably wanted to be a comedian since he was, let's say he was 10 years old. So he spent 23 years of his life dreaming to be a comedian and probably did more things right than wrong. And if you make it to that level, you're not that bad of a person because if you're a bad person, you're not going to get there anyway. Yeah, they would have ripped you, you know. Down. 
over one thing, it becomes a swipe left decision. And this guy had dreamed to be on Saturday Night Live his whole life yeah. is is a little insensitive. And I think you got to give people a little bit of a break. I think you got to look at the genre. You know, if you want to if you want to go watch comedy, expect to hear some funny stuff. It doesn't matter what it's about. Laugh. Yeah. Laugh. Have a good time. Don't take it personal. Yeah, that, that's a, that's yeah, that's such a good point, man. That, that's one of the things that I've always found. Like when people come up to you after a show and we do the meet and greets, and ninety nine percent of the people are great. Ninety nine. There's always that one person that comes up and goes, you know, I don't like this word that you use, and it's like, I'm so sorry, I didn't know you existed when I wrote this joke. It's not specifically about you. That's the thing. It, that's the 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 double edged sword. If you're if you're a good comedian and the feedback that you're getting is that you're connecting so well with your audience that they think it's about them, that's good feedback. That means that your your act is working. But the other half of it is like people, you know, no, nobody wrote this specifically about you. And that's really the only time anybody should be offended, in my opinion. Right. Like people can be offended all they want. Cancel culture, you know, lash out however they want. But I, I don't like people who, who take offense on behalf of other people. To me, you're, you're not, you're, you're looking for attention. You're recreationally outraged, you know? Um, it, it, unless somebody says something directly to you, unless I go, John, you know, John, you are, you're, you're, you're a POS and I can't stand you. Be, be, take offense to that. But if I'm just like, you know, hey, guys who wear, uh, Guys who wear black hats are morons. Like, and you're wearing a black hat, you can't take offense. You, I don't know. I'm not. I don't have an analogy off the top of my head. But does that make sense to you? What I'm saying, John? Well, would Eddie Murphy have a career in today's time? When no. He did, when he when he when he did a special, he apologized. Haven't yeah. Talk, when he did a special, when Eddie Murphy, one of the greatest comedians of all time, when he did a special and talked about him and Mr. T having sex a certain way. Mm-hmm. Do you think Eddie Murphy would have had a career today? No, not only that, but Netflix had it. <laughs> Netflix next to Netflix had it rated at like a. a you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into into the whole comedy thing, and but, but yeah, there's no way, there's no way, you know. But you no, know, I think people just need to go back to the old days. We need to throw away all the damn phones. No, they don't. That's how we make all our money. What are you out of your mind? You're the only guy in history. You're the only guy in history who, who builds an empire off digital media, and, he, and you're like, oh, the only thing we need to do is get rid of digital media. No, 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 no. Keep watching us. Keep listening to us. You know, you, you can you can feel good because we're the good guys. We're the people you should be listening to. You can feel good listening to Gerard Heron and John Edmonds Cosmo because we have your back. We're on your side. We are just like you. It's everybody else that you should probably not listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just think maybe there needs to be more education somehow. Educate people. Make them realize really what they're doing and, and how to handle things better. Because I don't think you're going to be able to ever change the technology world. I think it's just better management. And someone's got to, you know, whether it's us, maybe that's our voice to have in the community is is having better management for Things like te- technology, you know, and, and and just go back to being human, go back to human interaction. You know, I will say this, you know, with this COVID thing kind of compounds that problem, you know, make, making people stay home. Mm-hmm. When we're down here in South Carolina, one thing we real, we did notice 
because the quarantine ended down here and people are out in restaurants eating and so forth, there wasn't a lot of people on their phones. There was actually people talking to each other. So maybe this COVID thing could really make people think how they live their lives. Well, I go back to what you said earlier, and this is and this is my honest feeling on this, and and uh, not to give people too much inside baseball between you know uh, how John and I work our partnership here, but but there there's some pushback on how far I should go sometimes, and I want to go further than, than John wants me to go, and and I think that that comes to I think it comes back to what you said earlier about being a good person. If you are a good person and you have the right intentions then I, I personally don't really care what the other people say, what those people will say or they'll tweet or whatever. I won't apologize for anything because I don't have any bad intentions. And my job is to be provocative. My job is to be thought-provoking. My job is to be funny and edgy. And, and I take a lot of pride in it and I work very hard at it. So, you know, if I offend somebody, I, I'm really not sorry about it because I, I didn't intend to offend anybody. And I feel like... That's more an issue for them to deal with, like what you were talking about, their hypersensitivity, than it is for me. I can't stop my creative process, and I can't stop writing about things that I think are interesting and thought-provoking or making videos that I think are edgy and thought-provoking because it might hurt somebody's feelings who's been hypersensitized. Um, you know, because if I, if I pull back off of that, then there's a hundred other people that follow the page that would have enjoyed that content that now don't get to hear it because we need to protect the sensitivities of, of somebody else. So, you know, and yep. I think, I think that's just to complete the thought, John, I think that that's why it's, it's really important to, to circle back to what we had already discussed. And if you're a good person and if you're doing things for the right reason, that you really don't have anything to apologize for and you don't have anything to worry about. Well, I don't think you ever have to apologize for anything, but I do think, you know, you do have to work with the lay of the land. And if you know the lay of the land is a certain way, I think there are smarter ways to present things that can still drive a point home. You may have to work a little harder uh, to figure that out and what direction to do that. And that's and that's just dealing with our current times. And, and, and until we can figure out a way to educate people more, you know, there is a smarter way to me. I think the easy way out is to hit people over the head directly. And you just can't do that. You know, if you want to be a superstar, if you want to be the arena tours or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you can't be saying you want all these things and not play by the rules in some way, right? Because you're a lot more powerful person, comedian, whatever it is, with $100 million in the bank. And then if you are that good person with $100 million in the bank, then you really have a voice. Then maybe you start putting together, you know, a school that helps change people's positions and thought process and, and so forth. But I, you know, I think this day has to come eventually in this lifetime, or I don't know where, I don't know where things are. I don't know where entertainment, entertainment is going to go. They're well, going to bury themselves. You're, you're tied. You're really tied in. I mean, you're, you're in meetings that, that I'm not in that nobody else are in. You're dealing with executives that, that we're not dealing with. You know, you're locked in at the Soho house. You're dealing with LA people. So your perspective is different, and I and I understand that. But I always think, like, when I was a kid, this kind of hypersensitive PC environment existed. This isn't the first time. This is back when, like, Tipper Gore was trying to get all this, all these uh, 
you know, all these CDs taken out of the stores and these giant, you couldn't buy a rap album unless you were 18, unless your mother bought, bought it for you, parental advisory. And then it was this, it was censorship. It was this, it's basically censorship. Just like videos are getting taken down on Facebook and YouTube now, they tried to get CDs taken out, out of, uh, you know, out of, uh, coconuts and, and, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz, right? So, and then you had NWA and you had Eminem and you had all of these, uh, you know, two live crew and these, these people, not only did they become mega, mega successful by just being true to themselves and really pushing the envelope, but then they ended up bringing the mainstream with them. It's crazy now to listen to some old Eminem stuff and it doesn't even sound that bad compared to what's on everyday radio, but people that, that are younger, they have no idea that when that first came out, that was earth shattering. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe he said that. Like NWA, it was like, Oh my God. God, I can't believe they said that. And now that that wouldn't even be one of the top 100 worst things that you heard. So I'm interested to hear your opinion, John. And I know we're running low on time, but I'm interested to know your opinion on that. Like, how do you work within the landscape like you're talking about? But then also, if these things are ebbs and flows, how do you be on the forefront of, of pushing the the new, the next uh, lexicon, the next, you know, the next wave, if you will, you know, because... I don't. Am I explaining it right? Am I explaining? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I, you know, in that circumstance, what I think it is, in my opinion, is quality of work. You know, I think that there's so many avenues out there. It kind of created a dilution of quality because if you go back to, you know, the '70s and '80s or whatever it is, you know, and listen to music, if you listen how a song was produced back then. I mean, when they, they produce one song, it was two, cost $250,000. And, you know, I think the quality has to come back. And I think there's so many avenues for, for entertainment and technology has diluted a lot of the quality. I think to some extent, the industry has lost their focus. Because they, not quarantine king. I na- I nailed that. I nailed quarantine king. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they've lost their focus, but I think they've lost their focus because I think if you go back to quality, because if you hear some how some of the music is produced today, the quality's terrible. I mean, I don't even know what the people are talking about. Yeah. It's like it's like they limped in. You know, they're paying out all this money to produce a shit album, and it and they and they put it on, and you know, and if the industry is behind it. Because the industry is trying to break artists that really don't have talent because of the dilution with social media and everything else. I think when when Hollywood really puts their arms around social, because social is an interesting thing. To me, it's like a casting call that's already done. You know, the, the people have already chose. And, and, and just because these five executives didn't pick that star or starlet, I think maybe if the industry would put their arms around social and then find out where that quality is and combine everything together and let the strong survive and you get better, better talent, you get better quality music, you get better quality movies. You know, it's kind of like the Netflix model. I mean, they are making everything they produce is pretty quality. So maybe that model is going to bring it back and all the BS eventually will, will go away and we'll, we'll restart. That's an interesting thing that you said. So do you think that the reason why 
Hollywood hasn't really embraced social is because it proves that those executives kind of aren't needed. Like, you know, it's democracy. The world has decided these people are stars, more or less. And it takes the power away from those execs. That, that's a pretty interesting point that you made there. Well, if you, if you have a pattern of business, if I go to Bill, if I go to Bill tomorrow and he's going to do this for me, and then Bill's going to go to Roger and they, he's going to do this for me, and there's a pattern of business for, you know, 10 to 15 years, people get lazy. They keep that pattern of business going for 15, 20 years because it's making them rich. They don't, they don't want to change. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at, What's going on currently and figuring out a new pattern of business, taking the new pieces of, of, of technology and talent and, and bringing it into their world and wrapping their arms around it and, and giving, uh, giving it a blessing and create that new pattern of business. That's, that's when things would change. But right now, when you, you get lazy and you have a pattern of business for 20 years and you're making, I don't know, $10 million a year, are you going to want to change that pattern of business? Both points go back to the same thing. It comes down to power. They want to tell you what you can and can't say, and they want to pick who gets to say it. That comes down to just being resistant to kind of this new open space society. You know, that, that, to, that to me, just the way that I'm hearing it, it sounds like people are, are more addicted to power than they are dedicated to creating create good good content. They're, they're not definitely not dedicated to creating art. I think people have gotten very lazy. You know, I've talked to people on the phone. I've talked to big promoters on the phone. I had a conversation with this one big comedy promoter, and you know, they set up the call or whatever. And I got on the phone with the guy, and he was like, "Yeah, we're excited about getting started, and we love the opportunity." And and I said, "Do you know who we are?" Did you do your research? Do you know what we're all about? And he said, it's a, it's country comedy, right? So I said, so you don't know who we are. I said, well, if you're going to do business with me, you need to know who we are, what we've done and where we're going. And the guy didn't, guy didn't like that very much. And he hung up the phone while on the phone with an agent, you know, put some work in, dig a little deeper, find the real talent, reinvent yourself or business. And I think we can make this thing better. I think I think that, you know, it kind of goes back to working together. You know, I think people need to quit. Everybody's got a damn opinion, like an asshole. You know, everybody's got an asshole. So, you know, quit having all these opinions. Let's figure out the best of the best, no matter it's on social, no matter it's wherever it is. Because if you have, if you are a great talent, you will persevere. Yeah. Elon Musk tweeted out yesterday something I love. I absolutely love. I want to get a T-shirt made. He said, uh, less shun, more fun. And I thought that that was like just perfect. Four words that tell everything that we need. It's similar to what you're saying right now. Like just cut each other some slack, man. Like every mistake can't be career ending. You know, everything can't be offensive. Allow people the breath that they need to, to, to be creative. Less shun, more fun. I, you know, I, I love that. I, I think that that perfectly exemplified a way that we could kind of come out of this quarantine, you know, a better, a better people and a better society. If we stop immediately trying to think the, the worst and see the worst and, and, and look for the best, you know, that less shun, more fun mentality. I mean, what, what, what do we have to lose? Like, like what we're, we're, it's like, we're fighting. It goes back to the vapors, John. We're coming all the way back full circle. What do you get out of getting somebody fired? It's not like you get that job. You didn't make any money. What do you get for a Yelp review? You don't even get paid for it. 
You're willing to ruin somebody else's business for free. You don't, there's no money in being like this. There's nothing. It's just this like temporary clout and this addictive feeling of power. I had power over these people. It's like, my goodness gracious, less shun, more fun. You know, that that's, that's the way I feel anyway. Well, I think on that note, I think we should wrap it up. And I think that, yeah, let's get back to being humans again and uh, treating people the right way and quit having so many opinions and, you know, you know, find out who you're talking to and, and what they've done and what value they can bring to you and vice versa, what value you can bring to them, find a balance and move forward and treat people like humans again. And I think we could get somewhere. All right. Well, for, uh, for John Edmonds Cosma, I'm Gerard Heron, and this has been Unimpressed Episode 3. Covered a lot of stuff here, John. Check out bangproductionstv.com for all your entertainment information. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.